As human beings, we experience our world through the five explicit senses. Sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. And there may be some ways in which we can also explore some extrasensory perception in profitable ways. But even if we do have extrasensory perception to some degree or another, we primarily perceive by seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and or touching. And we go through our lives and we end up taking these senses and their sense impressions for granted. After all, how much thought do we give to our senses? Generally not a lot until they're not working as well as before, until we can't see as well, hear as well, smell as well, taste as well, etc. And not only do we not think about them, but we implicitly trust them considerably. We do accept, to some degree or another, that seeing is believing. And we can extrapolate that out to all the other senses. We trust that they represent the external world around us as it is. There's a lot of ways in which we do well to marvel at our senses, how we apprehend the world through them, and to give glory to God our Creator, as David does in Psalm 30, 139, 13, and 14 about how expertly and well he has been made. But we also do well to critically consider our senses, considering why God has made us that way, and as much as we can ascertain, ascertain excuse me, what the design of our senses may reveal to us about their abilities and also their limitations. To begin this conversation, we, we should begin with our most privileged and what ends up being our strongest scent, which is sight. So we begin with sight. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, so God separated light from darkness. Light came before anything else was created. Even according to the theory of the Big Bang, that which exploded forth was light, and energy manifest as light. In John chapter 1, John testifies that in the word was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines on in the darkness, but the darkness has not mastered it. Scientists have discovered how light functions as a wave and as a particle. Thus, it is part of the wave-particle duality. That light conveys and is energy. The higher the frequency, the higher the energy. The sun is a great example. The sun is undergoing constant nuclear fusion. And the energy expended in that fusion bursts forth and out as light. That we can see and the radiation of which we can feel. And it's energy from the sun that gives life in our environment. It's absorbed by plants and photosynthesis. It's what heats the planet. And that's why the metaphor of the word as life and light works so abundantly well, that God is light, and we understand light as the ultimate source of life and energy. This does not mean that we believe that God is somehow literally, concretely light. But we understand him as the source of light. The electromagnetic spectrum represents light in its various forms, and it's manifested different frequencies, everything from X-rays to ultraviolet light to the spectrum of visible light that we can see with its color gradients, to infrared light, and ultimately to microwaves and even radio waves. We can feel and experience the effects of many different aspects of this electromagnetic spectrum, but we humans can only see the relatively small visible light spectrum. And it's a reminder for us that there is a lot more out there which could be seen that exists beyond the capability we have with our physical eyes to see. And different animals would see differently in terms of the way that they see. 
Uh, they Some of them can see more on the infrared side, things of that nature. It's important for us to note, as we said, that sight is our strongest sense, that our, our 2020 vision does well at representing the world, and that of all the animals, our sense of sight is relatively strong. It may not be as specific as that of others. Uh, it may miss out on certain things. It may not be as attuned to night vision as others, for instance. But overall, it is much more generally beneficial and useful uh, for seeing a wide range of things and colors. Now, we talk about light because God has made us with the capability of sensing our environment by means of light. And it's the eye that is the translator of light to sight. Jesus will talk about the eye very perceptively in Matthew 6, 22 and 23. The eye is a lamp of the body. If then your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is diseased, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In the past few hundred years, we've learned a lot about how the eye functions. Light is entering into your eye through the pupil and strikes the retina at the back of the eye. The iris, which is the colored part of your eye, uh, controls the size of the pupil and thus the quantity of light allowed in. When working properly, it opens higher in lower light to let in more light, and it becomes much smaller in bright light uh, to, to not overwhelm the senses. The light from the pupil first passes through the lens as it strikes the retina, which allows the retina to form an image based on the light received. For all of our equipment that we have gained, microscopes, telescopes, glasses, all of that, was based on the discovery of how you can have light refract and images refract off, off of lenses, either to make what was very small much bigger, what is very far away look much closer. And that's what you have going on to a degree with the lens in your eyeball. The retina it converts the sense impressions from the light into electrical signals that are delivered to the visual cortex and other aspects of the brain via the optic nerve. And so Jesus, who, of course, is the means by which we were created, recognized and understood these things, that the eye is the lamp of the body. That's where the light comes in, right? And so the eye uh, can therefore, in this metaphorical slash spiritual sense, uh, be the way that we can understand how uh, if we focus on what is right, good, and holy, our body will be full of light. If we focus on what is unholy, degrade, or corrupt, the darkness in us is great, and great indeed is that darkness. So our eyes are converting light into electrical signals that neurons are able to perceive. And when Paul says we live by faith, not by sight, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, he might have been more accurate than he could even understand scientifically. Because we talk about seeing with our eyes. And it makes sense because everything that we are, are thinking we're seeing is coming from what the eyes are able to input from light. So therefore, it's from that perspective. Uh, but it's our brain that's really seeing. Because, yes, as we saw, the eye is critically important. It takes light impressions, right, and the sense impressions of light, and it converts it into the electrical signals. But it's the brain that's actually converting those electrical symbols, signals, uh, into some kind of sense impression that we consider our vision. 
consider our site with all the different colors and all the different forms of perspective that we have. However, there's a very important distinction that we should make because when we see, we think we're seeing in an unfiltered way that, that what's going on is our brain is just receiving this, re this, this reception from the, from the eyes, the electrical signals, and it's just coming up with whatever those electrical signals are sending. So in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, you know, Paul is encouraging Christians to live according to the confidence in God and Christ and not according to the ways of the world as they perceive them. But we also are seeing based on the brain and its conditioning, not merely by sight. It, it, it's a construct of perceptible reality that our brain has created. It is not an unfiltered, objective report of our environment. What do we mean by this? How can we talk about this? Well, first thing you can do is to extend out your arm and kind of do a thumbs up. And either, you know, you can look at with one or both eyes. Consider the size of your thumbnail. The size of your thumbnail, when you extend out your arm and look at it, is about 1% of what we call the visual field. So on the areas that your eyes are seeing, that's 1% of the visual field. And it's that 1%, scientists have learned, that at any given moment, is the only part your eyes are seeing in 2020 vision. And this seems extraordinarily small. And but we need to remember that the eye is actually the best sense that we have. That 1% of 2020 vision is still stronger than our ability to hear, smell, taste, or touch in the grand scheme of things. And it seems counterintuitive, right? Because you're thinking, wait a second, how am I only seeing 1% 2020 vision, but it looks like I'm seeing everything in 2020 vision? Well, it's because the human eye moves multiple times a second to get 20-20 sense impressions from all around our visual field. So whenever your eye is moving, your eye is picking out details from all these other things. And our brains are then able to sufficiently interpret these sense impressions across our visual field to continually construct the vision that we are thinking that we're seeing. Now, this might be alarming to us because we just think naively, hey, we have 2020 vision, so we're seeing in 2020. Well, why don't we just see everything in 2020 vision? Well, if the, this is the thing when it comes to the power and efficiency of God's design. For the brain to be able to process much more of the visual field, it would have to be many times larger than it is. We find the idea that our brains are creating a sense impression of reality based on snippets it's received disturbing and threatening because we've assumed and taken for granted how what we see is an objective, real report of reality, which was the conceit that we assumed was the case for years because we did not have any greater understanding. And again, when you look around, you can understand why that is the way that we would look at everything. But in truth, we have never had our eyes expressed to our brain 100% of our visual field in 2020 vision. To think that we have is a misapprehension. Now, we can look at this and cause despair, or we can marvel at this, right? How our brains are able to present for us a tolerable representation of the world around us and its continuing reckoning of these electric signals converted from light into the eye 
and all based on snippets of 1% of our visual field. And our brain is doing that all the time that we are seeing, while it is also engaged in various thought processes involving what it is hearing, what it is smelling, what it may be sensing through taste or touch, um, and whatever other activities that you might be doing. It's truly a marvel and something that we should be very humbled uh, when we consider about it. How do we know, though, that our brain is constructing things? Well, the reason we know that the brain is constructing things beyond the fact that it's only picking a 1% is that there is a lot of times where the brain is making slight, subtle corrections based upon all kinds of sub conscious reckonings with the nature of uh, the way light works and the way that things are seen, especially when it comes into the color gradient. Do you remember the dress? Hashtag the dress. Uh, this was a phenomenon in 2015 where people on the internet lost their minds over the dress. A woman took a picture of a dress she intended to wear at a wedding. Now outside the photograph in normal light, if it was done in that kind of situation, the dress would look to everybody blue and black. However, because it was taken inside a store with certain, you know, not the greatest lighting, if you've seen the picture, it's not the greatest picture ever made. A lot of people saw the dress as blue and black still. Many others saw it as gold and white. And this led to all kinds of arguments on the internet, a lot of contention and dissension. Who knows what kind of relational damage was done with people who were firmly insisting, no, it is blue and black, no, it is gold and white, white and gold. And it speaks to how confident we are that what our brains are showing us is what we are seeing. Now, what would cause people to see the dress as two different sets of colors? Scientists believe that it is most likely about how the brain filters color, which is called chromatic adaptation. That when conditioned by indoor lighting, in which a yellow tint is pervasive, the brain will look at the dress and render the colors as more black and blue. But when conditioned by more outdoor lighting, when, a, when it's a blue tint is pervasive, the brain will compensate and render the colors as white and yellow. Now, again, it was the, the dress and the lighting of it in the picture was really what led to the whole controversy because it allows the brain to construct it differently. Uh, but it is a great demonstration of how the brain is not just receiving information objectively presenting it, but it's recognizing certain forms of light distortion. It modifies colors accordingly. And it's also manifest in how the brain represents colors in general. So if you see a blueberry, for instance, the blueberry looks like a blueberry, a certain color of blue, no matter what's going on wherever it's at, where it's in, in morning light, evening light, uh, under different kinds of light. Whereas the coloration, in the moment may actually vary a little bit about because of the quality of light. But we continue to see it as blue because our brain has compensated for the kinds of variations that you get from the various forms of lighting. In a very interesting form of research, it also even has something to say about situations in which we are convinced that we are not seeing. There has been research done with people who have experienced strokes and as a result of strokes, or as a result of conditions like multiple sclerosis, you can have uh, a little bit of damage done to the, um, the optic nerve. And sometimes that damage of the optic nerve presents itself as a blurry spot. 
where there's just a spot, a little portion in the visual field that uh, either is very blurry or you are completely blind in. It's a little blind spot, a little area that you will not be able to actually see in. And when a study is done with people who have gone through and has that little visual blindness spot, and they are shown on a, a in a situation where only in the blind spot is presented a small tool uh, that's on a magnetic board, and the person will not be able to see it, and they say, I can't see it. But when they are then asked, they're given a choice of two tools. Which of the two did you see? They will, in a statistically significant way, select the correct one. Which suggests that even when we are not seeing directly, when we have a blind spot in a certain place, that our eye is still seeing, because it's, again, the visual field, it's, it's, it's presenting 1% all around it, and it is constructing that. And the information has reached the brain, it's just not reached the brain in the point at which it is recognized as sight. And, and we bring this up especially is how many times do we have kind of this, what we think is an extra sensory feel where we just are just convinced there's something going on that we can't entirely see uh, that we're just convinced is going on there. Or if we're asked about it, we can feel like it's there even if we haven't seen it. Well, it's maybe because of something like that. Again, this is all showing us that we've got to grapple with this thing about our vision, which is, again, an amazing, amazing sense made by God, very powerful, and yet it's a construction. It is a portrayal of visual sense impressions in an environment with a lot of subconscious modifications that exist for various reasons. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. And in the conclusion of the whole affair, he says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that those who do not see may gain their sight, and the ones who, may, who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and asked him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus replied, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now because you claim that you see, your guilt remains. In John 20 and verse 29, Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are the people who have not seen and yet have believed. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul declared, For God, who said that light shine out of darkness, is the one who shined in our hearts to give us the light of the glorious knowledge of God in the face of Christ. And 1 John chapter 1, when John wants to declare the message he has received from God in Christ, he said, This is the message. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet keep on walking in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Our physical sense of sight, as we are seeing, has provided a fertile field uh, uh, of understanding as a source domain about a lot of spiritual insights. The idea of sight and lightness, light and darkness, are, are pervasive throughout the scriptures. And these domains, especially in light of the, of the scientific research and understanding of our senses, uh, provide us an opportunity for reflection and also humility. The conundrum of our sight is, as the, of the five senses, our strongest is sight. We see better than we hear, smell, taste, or touch, both in general and in comparison with others in the animal kingdom. We almost uncritically accept what we are convinced we see, and we maintain firm confidence that our eyes reflect to us the true condition of the world around us. And yet what we see is as much a construction of our brain as a reflection of the sense impression of the world around us, if not more so. 
Occasionally, as with the dress or various other illusions, we encounter a disconnect between quote-unquote reality and what we quote-unquote see. These are infrequent enough to not cause a lot of consternation. And so we ground our self-understanding and the understanding of those around us, our understanding of our environment, on what we quote-unquote see. And yet what we quote-unquote are seeing is really constructed by our brains. And that's the conundrum of sight. We quote-unquote see, but are we really quote-unquote seeing? And that's what's grounding Jesus' observations in John chapter 9, really about the whole story going on there. By means of Jesus, many who were blind can see, and many who claim to see were proven blind. Now, we can see how this conundrum can manifest itself in many ways. The human sight is constructed, like we said. The brain is going to focus on certain things and thus will not focus on other things. The impetus is going to be that a lot of information is just going to be filtered out because we do not have the processing power and it'd be overwhelming for us to have to process every little detail that might be examined in our visual field. And this comes to the new car observation. Because if you notice if you get a new car, especially if it's a new make, uh, even if a new model, or you've heard or read about some kind of car, that all of a sudden you might see more of that kind of car all around you. Now, in some circumstances, it's possible that some more of those cars have entered the roads, but more likely than not, they had always been there. But it was not something you were consciously noticing until there was a reason for you to do so. Sometimes it's called this reason, you know, motive, you know, motivated reasoning. But it's also kind of aligned and adjacent to the idea of confirmation bias, that we see the things we want to see, and we can work diligently to dismiss or ignore, or therefore not see the things we don't want to see. Because we like to understand the world the way we understand it, and we resist data inputs that are going to challenge, complicate, or overthrow that perspective. And again, there's a good understandable reason for this. Uh, the reason for it is that, again, there's so much data that we're getting bombarded with at any given amount of time through the various inputs that we have that it would take all of our brain processing power and much more to really try to make sense of it all. We have to take a lot of it for granted or assume a lot of it in order to be able to function in any coherent way. Uh, but the problem comes in when we go beyond that and we become willfully blind to things uh, that we are motivated not to see. After all, Mark Twain famously said, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble, it's what you know for sure that just ain't so. That if we epistemically close ourselves off from certain things from possibly being true, we will not see them. And sometimes we will do that to our, our harm. Upton Sinclair also made the very famous observation that it is difficult to get a man to understand something when a salary depends on him not understanding it. And we invest a lot of our lives and livelihood in a given set of principles. And if various events or circumstances compromise those principles, we're going to be strongly tempted to not, quote-unquote, see them. And just like we dogmatically hold to the reality of what we see, we dogmatically hold to the confidence that we have maintained, even though they are actually illusory. And so many who claim to see are really blind. They're blinded by their assumptions and prejudices. And of course, this is something we see very much from the other people, right? This is what our opponents are doing. That is why they are their opponents. Uh, but it's not a them problem alone. We all fall prey to confirmation bias. And we all must, in humility, prove willing to challenge and question all of our priors, even the ones we hold most dear. Jesus had something about taking the beam out of your eye before to see the speck in your brother's eye. And that certainly uh, relates to this as well. Now, as goes our sight, so has gone the framework of our society. It's a very materialist one, a confidence that all that exists 
is that which can be perceptible by the senses. And it's not just materials, but scientific materialism. Not just what the sciences can perceive, but that which is true is what can be subjected to the scientific method. So to accept anything requires proof. And that's the impetus for the general mood in which we live in. I have to see in order to accept. Without seeing, I need proof. That seeing is believing. And Jesus' response to Thomas should be illustrative for us. Now, Jesus isn't really proving critical of Thomas's desire to see. After all, he has been presenting himself in the resurrection to his disciples precisely so they will see. He's not saying that Thomas was wrong or inappropriate to want to have confirmation uh, of what has happened. But he's declaring a greater blessing, that blessings come to those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, this isn't blind faith. And notice even the metaphor we use there of blindness. But it's not fully entrusting ourselves to a scientific proof either. Because modern man has glimpses of experiences of things beyond his or her perception. But rarely do those things seem to get him or her to challenge the materialist premise. Now, the ancients may not have understood everything well, but they maintained the wisdom and did not fall prey to the arrogant delusion that the only things that exist are things they could perceive. It is hard to sustain that seeing is believing when you learn that what one sees is a construct of the brain. In fact, the entire rationalist positivist project of the Enlightenment has run aground on these very shoals, because human perception is not the disinterested, objective perspective that that rationalism demanded. Despite all of its detractors, postmodernism's critique resounds for good reasons, and we need to grapple with them. In the end, we believe a lot of things, even though we cannot see them. And even things we think we see may not prove entirely accurate. And all of this can prove rather destabilizing. Our sight is a construct, we're tempted to see what we want to see and not what we not want to see. And we can fall into despair. Or we can use it as a call to humility in our perception. Because after all, what we think we see is all because of light, right? Light enters a pupil and is ultimately converted into a sense impression. Where there is no light, there can be no sight. And that is why that metaphor of God is light, in whom there is no darkness, is so important for us. The ways of God are right, good, and holy. And then we do well to walk. All that is contrary to God's ways are darkness, in which there is fumbling, pain, and despair. We're coming to recognize how we have to be at least slightly skeptical of what we think we see. We should also not blindly trust in ourselves or that which we have been taught. We are encouraged to entrust ourselves to God and to his ways, the God who provides light and is light, who has given life abundantly. God's vision is true vision. He sees all things, and he sees well. On our own, our ways are in darkness. We think we see, but even at best, it's very dim, and we are easily motivated to justify ourselves in what we do. And thus we have John's testimony, 1 John 1, 5-7, that we should entrust ourselves to God and Christ for light and life, to resist those ways of darkness, to be willing to countenance uh, the darkness in us, but expose it so that we can walk in the way of light. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful for all the blessings you've given us. We're thankful, Father, uh, that you've given us the ability to see and that we have been made in such a marvelous way that our light, our eyes are able to receive uh, the sense impressions from light and that they're converted to those electric signals that are brains can then construct into an image, and that we're able to do that even though it's only little bits uh, and filling it in, and how wonderfully it does that, to the point where we have great confidence that what we see is representing the world around us uh, in this way, and you are an amazing creator for establishing that for us. 
But we're especially mindful, Father, that what we see is a construction and that we are finite and limited. There's many things that we may miss, many things that we may misperceive. And as much true in terms of all of our understanding of our sense perceptions and in our process of thinking as it is with what we think that we see. And we pray, Father, for the wisdom and humility to recognize, to, to hold more lightly to what we are convinced is true, uh, to be willing to countenance that some of the things that we have outright dismissed may have more to it than we'd care to admit, that we are all guilty in some way, shape, or form of motivated reasoning and confirmation bias, and that we prove more humble and skeptical even what we think we see and what we are convinced that we perceive. And in all things, Father, may we entrust ourselves to all that you have done in Jesus, to walk in your ways as the ways of light, to not uh, participate in darkness or its works, uh, but to uh, live in the light, be guided in that light, and to find salvation in that light, which comes from you. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're so thankful that you've joined us today. I'm Ethan, work with the Venice Church of Christ. We are Christians in Los Angeles, seeking to encourage one another. If we can be of any further encouragement to you, any questions or comments about anything that we've talked about, please let us know in the comments and love to continue the conversation. Uh, if we can be of any further service, please reach out to us at VenezueChristChrist.org or also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and now also on Threads. And may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.